I, I have to tell you this morning that um, this is not the easiest subject to talk about. Uh, it, it doesn't lend itself to very much encouragement. It's more or less one of those messages that leaves you kind of a little, a little bit heavy because you understand that we live in such a precarious world and situations and circumstances and they can find you and hit you at any time and, and whatever may be. And there are people that have gone down this road and, and we want to be sensitive to those people who have been there who have never experienced this in their lives. We know that there's grace and there's forgiveness offered and we know that there's been hurt and all, the, all these things. So it's a very, very difficult subject to talk about when we talk about this particular subject that we're going to talk about because of all those reasons and many more. But we're going to go straight forward and we're going to try to address this particular subject. Again, I invite you to pull out those message notes and follow along. Lord, I'm asking you this morning that you'd help me to share this word and make it applicable to our lives. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I, I want to begin with a story. I want to begin with this particular story. And uh, have you, you may have heard this. This has been around for a number of years, but I find that people still smile every time it's told. But did you hear about the airplane that was ready to crash? There was an airplane that was ready to crash. And there were four passengers and three parachutes. Four passengers and three parachutes. The first passenger said, I am a heart surgeon. My patients need me, and so he grabbed a parachute and he jumped out the airplane door. The second um, passenger said, I am one of the world's smartest men. I'm a rocket scientist, and my country needs me. And he grabbed a parachute and went out the door. The third, the third passenger looked over at the fourth passenger. The third passenger was a frail, elderly person, and the fourth passenger was a Boy Scout. And the elderly, uh, frail passenger said to the Boy Scout, you know, I'm old, I'm up in years. Here, son, you take this third, uh, uh, you take this last parachute. And the Boy Scout said, don't worry about it, sir. There are still two parachutes left. You see, the smartest man alive jumped out of the airplane with my Boy Scout backpack. <laughs> <laughs> shaking your head. <laughs> now I, I talk, I share that with you because I want to tell you. In a number of cases, there are people that are really, really smart. People that are really, really smart that can make really, really bad decisions and choices. David was bright. David was smart, he was charismatic, he was a warrior, he was a man after God's own heart, but he made a terrible choice. Elizabeth Edwards, remember her? Elizabeth Edwards was the wife of John Edwards, the presidential democratic um, person running for office. Elizabeth Edwards died just a couple years ago. Before she died, she wrote an autobiographical book about her life and in that particular book she wrote about the highs and she wrote about the joys and she wrote about the lows and she wrote about the trials and difficulties and she said writing that perhaps the lowest time when she was right in the midst of her cancer and her cancer treatments it came at the worst time that she found out that her 
husband had a very public, adulterous relationship that came out and it devastated her and it wiped her out. Adultery on so many levels hurts so many people and it is a betrayal that leads to no man's land. No sin in the Bible is, has received so much attention than this sin of David and Bathsheba. Uh, movies have been made exploiting this idea of David and Bathsheba, and it usually portrays and conveys the idea that David was some sort of sexual pervert or David was some sort of sexual addict, and, and that's not true. This is a good time to remember that David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart, that he loved the Lord. Yes, he sinned, but his sin was no greater than your sin or, his great, or greater than my sin. Admittedly, however, his sin was intensified because of what he was and because of who he was and how he mishandled his particular sin. Now, I, I'm not trying to justify whatsoever what David did. I'm just trying to give us a proper perspective. But if we ever get a holier than thou attitude, we just have to remember what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, let him who thinks he stands take heed unless he falls. If it wasn't for God's grace, there I go likewise. Take heed. And we need to do that on a regular basis. Be aware. Realize that we're surrounded by all kinds of temptations and realize that this temptation never ceases until we're in the grave. It can hit at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Some 70-year-olds can even have an adulterous relationship. Let's see what we can learn from David's tragic failure this morning. Uh, let me set the scene for you. Let me set the scene for you. David is in his early 50s. He's been in, on the throne for 20-plus years. Remember, he has distinguished himself as a man after God's own heart. He's a warrior. He's fought all these particular battles. He's defeated all of these particular enemies. We've got all kinds of commerce coming in, all kinds of ro inroads of, of trade is coming in. The, the boundaries of Israel has expanded from 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles. Uh, again, he's done, he's done all of these things. He's instituted revival and renewal for his people. And, 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 and he is at the pinnacle, so to speak, of his uh, his kingship and his admiration. And yes, he's made some mistakes up to this point, but, but everything seems to be going his way. Now, as we examine this particular segment in David's life, uh, we're not looking at a, a rebel again. We're not looking at a sexual deviant. But he is one that fell into sin, and that sin had devastating consequences for his family, for his kingship, for the people of Israel. Sin always has consequences. That's why the Bible says, take heed, take heed. Well, David did not fall suddenly. Some chinks of his armor begin to appear uh, early on, and the first area was in his lust. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 13, this is what it says. Listen to this. Meanwhile, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron and had more sons and more daughters were with David. Now, I've talked about this particular uh, segment uh, here in his life, but let's just repeat it very quickly. 
He was the king over a relatively small area for seven and a half years. And during that seven and a half years, he had six or seven children. You say there's nothing wrong with that, but he had six or seven children with six or seven different wives. Six or seven different wives. And after moving to Jerusalem, he got even more and more wives, and he had even more and more concubines. Although God was blessing him in Jerusalem, he still kept increasing the amount of women in his life. And the problem is, according to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 17, was that this was in direct contradiction against God's word. You're saying, what are you talking about, Pastor Ron? Well, that particular passage tells us that a king was not supposed to take gold, a bunch of gold unto himself, was not supposed to take a bunch of wives or women unto himself, and was not supposed to take a bunch of silver unto himself. Specifically, it says those three, those three things. David, um, he, 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 he didn't take a bunch of gold, he didn't take a bunch of silver, but he neglected the second part of that, per, that per, uh, particular passage of Scripture. He took a bunch of women and wives unto himself. And as a result, he just kept getting more and more wives, more and more concubines in his life. He took a, so much so that he took another man's wife when he had a harem full of women. Now listen to this. David's problem, his problem, is that he is fueling his lust even more and more. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Ron? Well, the simple fact is, is that the passion of sex is not satisfied with having a full harem of women. Did you hear what I said? It is not satisfied with having a full harem of women. It is increased. Having many women does not reduce a man's libido. It actually increases it. It increases it. It stimulates it even more. And you see, the lie from Satan is this. And Hollywood and Hugh Hefner, many Sexual partners will make me happy and satisfy my sexual appetites. But that just is not true. It's a lie. The more sexual partners that a person has, it just increases the sexual urges, especially for men. Thus, when David became the king and he had this all of these beautiful women and all these concubines, he kept adding these wives and he kept adding these concubines, that when he saw a woman that was beautiful and he was obviously married, he still had to have her even though he had all of these women already. All you have to do is look at the Tiger Woods and the Charlie Sheens of this world. God's perfect plan has always been one man and one woman in a monogamous marital covenant relationship. It is a fantasy to think that many women and many sexual partners will satisfy. It does not satisfy. It just increases a person's libido. Well, so David is in his early 50s. Again, he's been on the throne for 20 plus years. He is um, fresh off all these victories on the battlefield. There are spiritual renewal, revival. He has ample uh, money. He's living in this beautiful cedar-lined home, new home, the palace area. He's at the peak, again, of public admiration. But he's also becoming a little indulgent. He's becoming just a little bit prideful, you might want to say, and, and laxed with his family, overlooking responsibilities, violating God's commandments, 
and adding more women to his life. And it is at this point, it is at this particular point of his vulnerability that we find David in this handsomely furnished palace chamber. It's springtime, the rainy season over. There are the cool winds of the Mediterranean. There is, it's in the evening time. You can begin to see the clear sky, the blue sky, the beautiful twinkling of stars up there someplace. And it was a warm, lovely evening again in the springtime. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, look at it with me. Verse 1, notice, in the spring, at the time of the year when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Another translation said, David stayed in Jerusalem. David, in other words, was in bed, not battle. David was in bed, not battle. He wasn't in battle with his troops, typically as most kings did in the springtime, it says. In fact, if he was in battle and not in bed, he probably wouldn't have had this episode with Bathsheba. And I want to tell you, our greatest battle in this particular area doesn't usually come when we're working hard. It comes when we have some sort of leisure time, when we get some time on our hands, when we're bored. And for men, with the access of Internet, and even for women, it's downright dangerous. A number of years ago, the Modesto B, the leading paper in the San Joaquin Valley area, we got it up in the foothills. I opened up the Sunday edition. The very first section, the front page, headlines, pastor admits he's been addicted to Internet pornography for 15 years. It was a lead article. That article went on and said that every, um, every second, $3,076 every second is spent on pornography in the United States alone. Every second, 28,285 Internet users are using pornography. And every 39 minutes, a new pornographic movie is made. And we know that people, especially men, are so visually orientated that all it takes often is just one glance. And then it's an addiction, and it's a stimulus, and it happens, and it happens, and they go down this slippery slope. So here's the principle. Guard your leisure time. Guard your downtime. Guard it like you would guard a precious possession that you have. It's often in the downtime. It's often in the leisure time. It's often when we're bored. David was not in bed because he was exhausted. He was in bed because he was bored with his life at this particular time. It is often when we have downtime that we can get into trouble. Plan out your leisure time. Don't just surf the television. Don't just blindly go on the internet. Pick up any trashy novel. Plan out your leisure, t leisure time. David belonged in the battle. He didn't belong in the bedroom. Instead, he's in his bedroom. He didn't need sleep. He wasn't exhausted. He wasn't tired from working. He's, he's tired from being tired. He's just bored. Perhaps I need to take a walk, he thinks. So he shoves aside the drapes and he steps out on the what we would call the patio area. And uh, 
in this particular time, at this particular day, he just built this palace, and most likely he was in the upper chambers. They often had their rooms upstairs, and they he probably had this beautiful open patio area upstairs or this beautiful deck area, and he begins to go out on the deck area. He begins to enjoy the evening breeze, and he's wandering around, and he's just stumbling around, whatever it may be, and it is at that particular moment that he hears some splashing. Somebody is splashing water down below him, and perhaps they're humming a song on their lips. It was a very beautiful woman living beyond the palace, just within clear sight of his own backyard. And I want you to look at verse 2. So one evening David got up from his bed, and he walked around on the roof palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. But notice the description. The woman was very Beautiful. Another translation says, very beautiful in appearance. Now, the Bible, I'm going to tell you, never pads the record. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Ron? The Bible never pads the record. When it says a woman is beautiful, she is absolutely fabulous. Fabulous. She's literally a knockout. Physically attractive beyond description. Rarely will the Scripture ever use the word very And when it does, rest assured, it's not an exaggeration. She is a knockout. She's a fabulously beautiful woman. Now, Raymond Brown writes, and I want you to listen. When we read this terrible story, we instinctively think of the offense as David's sin. But this attractive woman cannot be entirely excused. Bathsheba was careless and foolish, lacking in the usual Hebrew modesty, or she certainly would not have washed in a place where she knew she would be overlooked. From her rooftop, she would often have looked out and saw the royal palace and must have known that she could be seen. He writes, it's not enough to merely avoid sin ourselves. The New Testament insists that Christians must ensure that they do not become a stumbling block to others. If David had gone to war, he would not have seen Bathsheba that night. If she had thought seriously about her actions, she would not have put temptation into his path. And this leads me to principle number two. Very simple here. Give thought. Give thought ahead ahead of time to your actions to your dress, to your looks, and your conduct. Give thought ahead of time to the way you dress, your actions, and your conduct. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't be a stumbling block. Without a desire to cast blame, it's important in today's world, when anything goes, to remember to remember that if you want to be part of the answer to the common battles with sensuality rather than part of the problem, you walk in, you work in cooperation with righteousness. Let me, let me repeat that. If you want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem, you work in cooperation with righteousness. So you're modest, you're careful, you're controlled, not leaving a hint of allurement, lest one be tempted. Well, both David and Bathsheba were at fault. Both of them were at fault. But of the two, certainly, David was the aggressor. He stopped, he stared, he lusted, he sought her, he lost control of his passion. Now, I, as this smoldering desire down inside burst into flame, David became 
distant. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Ron? He forgot about God. He forgot about his love for the Lord. He forgot about his commitment that he had made to God. The Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. That all went out the window as his lust burst into flame. David took a second look. He took a third look. He stares in his mind, fueled by lust of this beautiful woman. He envisions what it would be like to, to sleep with her. And then David inquires about this woman. And notice the report. His servant replies, look at verse 3 with me. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Now this statement is significant because it tells us that the servant of David was in essence warning David. He knew how David operated. He knew that David had a harem of women. And in essence, he's giving a red flag to David. David, isn't she the wife? Uh, isn't she a married woman? She was. He could see probably most likely that David's staring down at her still. It was very exciting for David. But the servant knew it was wrong. And he tried to warn David. But it just didn't register with him. God, his relationship, the commandments, his presence, David's out of control. And look at verse 4. Look what happens. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and, 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 he, and he slept with her. And then she went back home. Somebody has said that stolen secrets are sweet. Stolen secrets are sweet. You bet there is pleasure in sin. If there wasn't pleasure in sin, people wouldn't commit sin. Here is this middle-aged king, handsome. She's lonely. It's, it's, it's beautiful night. A one-night adulterous affair. Sensual and exciting at that particular moment. But there's always consequences. Somebody has said, sin, you get your kicks, but you always get your kickbacks. Always. The pleasure is gone almost immediately afterwards. The guilt begins to set in. And within a few weeks, that one night of passion ends in, our, in, a one, uh, in an unwanted pregnancy. Bathsheba sends for David and says to him, I am pregnant with your child. I haven't slept with my husband. My husband's been, he's one of your soldiers. He's been on the front. He's been fighting a battle for you. It's your child. And this leads me to principle number three. You want to avoid an adulterous relationship. You've got to greatly magnify the consequences. You've got to greatly magnify the consequences of sexual sin. Now stay with me, folks. You've got to magnify. You have to magnify the consequences of sexual sin. You have to do that. 
It's been my observation over the years that the devil never tempts his hand in temptation. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Ron? The devil never tempts his hand in temptation. He shows you only the beauty, only the ecstasy, only the fun, only the excitement, only the stimulating adventure of stolen desires, but he never tells the drinker, tomorrow you're going to have a hangover. He never tells the drinker, if you continue on with that particular lifestyle, that you're going to ruin your family, you're going to ruin your job, you're going to ruin all your relationships. He never tells the drug user, It's a dead end. It's a long, sorrowful dead end. He never tells the thief, you're going to be caught tomorrow and you're going to spend time in prison. He certainly never warns the adulterer. Adulterer, You know that real, uh, the real fact of the matter is, is that pregnancy, unwanted pregnancy is possible or you could get a life-threatening disease. It's so true. If you were to read the statistics at the health department and any health department in any community, in any county, you know that disease, sexually transmitted diseases are in an expositional rise. Are you kidding? Face it. When the sin is done and all the penalties that the sin come due, the devil is nowhere to be found. He smiles as you fall and he leaves you with no encouragement and when the consequences kick in. So Bathsheba says, David, I'm pregnant and you're the father. And when David heard the news, he, he had two, two choices. He could acknowledge it, confess it to God, confess it to his advisors, confess it to the whole nation of Israel, or he could cover it up and guess what he did? He tried to cover it up. And so David compounds the problem. And according to chapter 11, verses 6 through 15, David has Uriah uh, called home from the front lines of his battle. He wants Uriah to sleep with Bathsheba to cover up what David has done. But he's an honorable man. He is a faithful man. He says, you know, as long as my fellow troops are out there fighting on the front, I'm not going to sleep with my wife. Give me back to the front line, King David. That's where I belong. The consequence. Pregnancy. And now, murder. David tells the commanders, put your eye on the front lines. Pull back the troops so he'll be taken care of. Disobedient, manipulative, seducer, liar, adulterer, and now murderer. Magnify the consequences. You say, Pastor Ron, what if I or a friend or someone else is caught in this adultery? Probably no one here, but you may know someone. Here's what you need to do. This is not an overhead. This is what you need to do. You, you want to lovingly get close 
and you, and if they're claimed to be a Christian people, this is what you want to do. First of all, you need to acknowledge the sin. You need to acknowledge it. Did you know in Psalm 51, the Bible says that David tried to cover up the sin? And he writes, in my paraphrase, my bones wasted away, literally wasted away, because I have this guilt and have this shame upon me. You have to acknowledge the sin before God can forgive it, and you have to confess it. It's wrong. It is sin. It's not an affair. It's adultery. And this is what the Bible calls it. God has never changed His standard, and He never will. Premarital sex is unacceptable to God. It always has been. It always will be. Extramarital, premarital, homosexuality has always been wrong. Always will be. Always will be. Pornography is unacceptable to God. It always has been and always will be. And one day, we're going to stand and give an account and our puny excuses of why we did and why we did what we did and et cetera, et cetera. And if you're guilty of these any of these any issues, any any of these things, um, you need to confess it. Confess it. Let me say, if you're guilty of the, of any of these things, this is a church for you. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Ron? Because we're all sinners. We've all sinned. We don't have perfect performance. The Bible says, confess your sins. There are no perfect people, and and, and this is not a place for self-righteousness. It's a place to come and get your act together and a place to come to find forgiveness and healing. The second thing is, in the relationship yesterday, in the relationship yesterday, in the relationship now, and this will be the most difficult thing that people will tell you that they have to do because when you're in the midst of an adulterous relationship, all of those emotions and all of those endomorphins and all of those physiological changes are going on and it's like a powerful drug and you can't get enough of it. And the Bible says, indicates, end it now. No excuses. End the relationship immediately. This is what Scripture says. Today, If you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart, the Bible says. You want to take action immediately. And this is what you have to convey to people around you. And number three, you've got to avoid all contact with that person. You cannot be best friends with a former lover. Do whatever it takes to do in the relationship, cold turkey. No more letters, no more cards, no more visits, no more meetings to explain, calling them on the phone. Um, Do whatever it takes to avoid them in the future. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together.